Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Joel Friedland. Hi, Victor. Well, Joel, great to have you here. You are a veteran in in this space, and you're a collector of real estate, but not just any real estate, industrial. Love to hear a bit more about that, but maybe before we do, give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Sure. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 14 years old. When I was uh, a kid, during the summers, I started a landscaping business in my neighborhood, and I went door to door, up and down my street. And I know this sounds almost implausible, but I'd say I got two out of three lawns to cut when I would visit people. And one out of three would say, hey, I've already got somebody, they're professionals. And the other two would say, sure, who stops in and does this? So I ended up uh, with 60 lawns when I was 14. And I had a bunch of employees. They were all kids. They didn't work very hard. And it, it worked out okay. It wasn't the greatest thing. But what I really enjoyed the most was the real estate part, because I was looking at all these houses every day, front yard, backyard, looking at for sale signs, seeing realtors. And I knew that real estate was going to be my thing. So graduating from the University of Michigan, I met a senior guy in industrial real estate named Milton Podolsky. Okay. And he and his two sons and daughter owned 84 industrial buildings and hired me in 1981 to lease up their many vacancies because at that time, interest rates were 17% and the economy was a disaster. And so I applied my door-to-door theory to finding tenants. So I went door-to-door to industrial companies and I got thrown out of many, many properties uh, and made a lot of friends and made a number of deals. I, I leased up 37 properties in the first year. Wow. Milt said, hey kid, I think you can do this. And the projects got bigger and bigger. And eventually I told him I wanted to be a developer and a buyer. And he said, well, I'll be your partner. And he was my first limited partner in my first deal. That's an amazing story. You know, there's no set career path into this business, none whatsoever. Now, when you say industrial, that also can be a broad spectrum, everything from manufacturing to light industrial to multi-tenant. Do you have a particular specialty? Do you prefer warehousing? Do you prefer do you prefer something that's an active business? What, what do you look for? Well, first of all, it is all in Chicago. We've tried going out of town and we've made deals in Florida and New York and Ohio. And we're hyper-local and we're hyper-focused on one kind of industrial real estate, and that's class B and C manufacturing buildings with single tenants. It's a very small niche. In Chicago, because it's such a vast market, we have 1.3 billion square feet of real estate here in industrial, 20,000 industrial companies. It's vast. I I will never run out of things to do here right in town in in the city and suburbs of Chicago. But our focus is uh, leasing to international companies, national companies, and entrepreneurs who manufacture stuff. For example, one of our tenants makes uh, children children's museum exhibits for children's museums internationally. Wow, fascinating! One, yeah, it's amazing what people do. Uh, one of our tenants was on Shark Tank in year one, 
and he manufactures protein bars. He did $50,000 in volume when he met uh, Kevin and Robert and all those people. And he made a deal with one of them, um, with a guy named Kevin Harrington, who sat in the Mark Cuban seat before Mark Cuban got there. Yeah, I know, Kevin. He was one of the early entrepreneurs, one of the, what's the word? He was one of the pioneers of the infomercial. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so this fellow, Jonathan Miller, actually turns out that he was in, in uh, business school. He was the student of one of my biggest investors. My big investor taught at Northwestern. He taught entrepreneurship. He must have done a great job because Jonathan's taking the, taking the business from $50,000 in his first year in revenue up to over $10 million, uh, this year. Wow. Single tenant manufacturing. Now, of course, the whole manufacturing sector has gone through a lot of change with globalization. Now, perhaps coming back to the United States with a bit of the balkanization that's happening as a result of geopolitical tensions. How do you know that your tenant is going to be there for the long term? Because you're ultimately, when you've got a single tenant building, you're betting on that company being in business in that location for the long term. Because if you have a vacancy, you're not leasing it up in a month. You have to reconfigure that building. You're going to have to bring in a whole new tenant with a whole new set of constraints. Yes, that is one of our biggest concerns is vacancy. We want to avoid vacancy because when you have a single tenant building, it's either 100% occupied or 100% vacant. Right. At the moment, we are 100% occupied. We have 16 buildings uh, in Chicago and in the suburbs. And what we do to be super careful is, first of all, we only uh, accept tenants that have been in business with a track record. And we check their financial statements. We we require financial statements and we go over them with a fine tooth comb. And there's some elements of financial statements that are really important. One is the amount of debt they have mm -hmm. because the more debt, the riskier they are as a tenant. And secondly, this is a question a lot of people don't know that should be asked, which is what's your concentration of revenue from which customers? Because if a company has a thousand customers and none of them are bigger than one or 2% of the business, if they lose a customer, it's no big deal. But if there's a manufacturer who's making products, let's say, and selling mostly to Walmart, and Walmart calls and says, hey, we don't need your kitchen utensils anymore. We found someone who will give us a similar one, but for less money. I don't want to get the call from the tenant saying, hey, Joel, guess what? We lost Walmart. We're out of business. So we're very cautious. And we really like national and international tenants that we can count on. And we have a number of them and they're, they're usually, it's more of a hassle to make the deal because usually they have a, a lawyer, an in-house lawyer that's tough when we negotiate the lease document. But we have the U.S. Postal Service, uh, first of all, an aside, uh, the most difficult tenant we've ever had. Uh, they use their own lease and it's probably from some somewhere back in 1776 because uh, it's not a modern lease. It makes no sense. I've had to hire, actually, literally, not kidding, three lawyers because the first two couldn't stand it anymore during the negotiations and said, I give up. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Uh, now, I, I would imagine that um, major multinational companies would also be a, a concern as well from the perspective that while they're large and they have strong balance sheets and you can point to a lengthy track record, they can also take a portfolio view of businesses and often 
be just one org change away from a change in strategy on a particular facility. No, not in not in manufacturing. In manufacturing, they cannot afford to leave. What happens is they they build a manufacturing operation around machines that are fastened to the floor, and usually machines that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars. One of our tenants is putting a $6 million piece of equipment in. They can't move it. And also labor is the biggest issue with our tenants. They, they must have employees to make their products. If they lose employees, they're screwed. Hmm. So they can't move. We call them sticky tenants. And most of our tenants on, on average, let me give you the average, our average tenant stays in our buildings for at least 18 years. They don't go anywhere. That's uh, that's pretty good longevity, especially in today's environment. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a tenant who moved into any of our buildings that moved out before seven or eight years, and I can't even think of any. Yeah, manufacturing space, one view of the world is it's a commodity, it's dollars per square foot. You said they don't leave. How do you retain your customers? How do you uh, escalate the rents so that you continue to make money? all of those sorts of things. Cause at the end of the day in an inflationary environment, which we have been in for not just the last couple of years, but the last hundred years, you've got to make sure that you continue to keep those ratios where they need to be. Yeah. In our business, it's not a commodity in our business. It's different because manufacturers look at a building, not as real estate, but they look at it as a tool for their business. And each building has a unique set of elements, including geometry, the the shape of the building, how many truck docks, how tall the ceiling is, how much power there is. And rule number one in industrial real estate, parking. Rule number two in industrial real estate, parking. Mm -hmm. And rule number three, parking. Uh, What what a lot of investors don't realize if they come into the industrial market and they've never been in it before, is that as companies stay and grow, their employee count grows and they run out of parking spaces. So One of the key factors when we buy a property is making sure that it accommodates parking, not for five years, but for the growth over, let's say, a 20-year period. Really important. So it's not a commodity in our business. I I like to say this, it's it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing, but if a tenant comes to see one of our buildings, they almost like go gaga. You can see on their faces, the CEO or whoever's looking, the, the real estate director, their, their face changes and you can see that they love it. And sometimes they make the mistake because I'm the owner when I'm showing it to them. They make the mistake of saying, this is perfect. And their negotiating stance becomes uh, a little bit uh, less advantageous to them. But <laughs> we had one guy looking at a, a building and he and his partner were from Russia originally. And I had my young associate whose family was from Russia And these two guys start talking to each other in Russian. And one says, this is perfect. It's the only thing we've ever seen. And this is in Russian. I don't understand a word. It's the only thing we've ever seen that works. We we need to pay whatever it takes. Let's do this. And my young partner came over and he said, they just said this. And at the end of the meeting, he uh, shook their hands and he said goodbye to them. And I hope you come back and join us in Russian. And the two of them looked at each other and they couldn't believe it. But that's what happens. If, if someone loves a building, you could punch them in the face and they would say, thank you for the punch. Now, how do we make a deal? Fascinating. Fascinating. So how does someone make a decision? Do, do you, 
do you see new manufacturing coming into the area or how do you how do you acquire a tenant if you have a vacancy so i belong to an organization called arab it's now called air because arab that didn't sound right, right. it's a i r e b the association of industrial real estate brokers and it's a chicago based group there are 300 industrial brokers we all know each other I'll tell you an interesting statistic. There are 11 women and 289 men. It's an old boys club. And most of these brokers have at least 5, 7, 10, 15 clients that are exclusive to them. So we advertise to those 300 brokers and they bring the tenants. There's almost always a cooperating broker bringing the tenant. We also belong to an organization called SIOR, which is the Society of Industrial and Office Realtors. It's international. And in Chicago, we've got about 80 members, which are also, those are the same first 80, most successful 80 of the air group. Mm -hmm. So we advertise to those people, but we also uh, go door to door in the neighborhood where we own the property because usually I would say at least 90% of the time, the tenant that's moving to one of our buildings is within two minutes driving time from where we're located. So, so is that often a scenario? Have, is that often a scenario where they might have had pilot manufacturing on a small scale and now they just need to grow? No, hardly ever. That happened with Motorola once with us, okay. but one out of maybe two thousand deals. They're they're already substantial. Our one of our most recent acquisitions. We bought a building in the city on Trip Avenue, which. And the side, that's the street on which Walt Disney was born, but not in an industrial park. He was a little bit up the street as a baby before he moved to Kansas City. We bought a building uh, with a tenant in place, and they manufacture safety products for the welding industry. Um, They've been there since 1995, and they have 60 employees, and they just renewed their lease. And it's owned by Bunzel, B-U-N-Z-L, which is a FTSE 100 company on the London Stock Exchange. And their lease came up uh, during the time we were trying to buy it. We thought we might get a vacant building. And I dealt with their broker, who's an SAOR in St. Louis with Cushman and Wakefield. And we renewed the lease for three years. And he said, don't worry, they'll probably stay forever. And they probably will. I don't know if forever is, but sure, quite, sure. Quite, a, quite a long time. Fabulous. Well, Joel, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Brit Properties, B-R-I-T Properties.com. The company is named after one of our favorite property managers whose name was Brad. Uh, it stands for Brad Really Is Terrific. <laughs> so uh, B-R-I-T Properties.com. Fabulous. Well, I love hearing the story. I uh, wish you continued success in that business. It's a business that, frankly, I'm not an expert in, don't know very much about, and I'm just fascinated by doing a bit of a deep dive in this one segment, so I love it. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Joel at brittproperties.com. That's B-R-I-T properties.com. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.